It is so, so good to be with you. And I shared this in the first service as several people were asking me about our trip. And for those of you who don't know, we got to go to uh, California to be with my mom and dad and my brother and my grandma and all of my nieces and nephews over. But um, I did find that my heart ached to be with you. And I, um, while, while I feel a, a, a love and a draw with my immediate family, missing my church family um, was really significant for me this week. And I am just so thankful for all of you. I'm thankful to be able to gather with you again. And I, I love vacation for many reasons. Like I do enjoy like taking a break from the, the rhythms and the busyness and the life and just all that's going on. Um, but I find that the one thing I really don't like about vacation is missing the gathering. There's something special when we gather together with God's people. And God designed us like that, to enjoy the community, to thrive in community with one another. And when we're apart from the community, our hearts ought to ache to be back together again. And I can honestly say that that's where my heart has been all week. And I am so excited to be able uh, to open the word with you here this morning. So we're looking at Isaiah chapter 6 this morning. And if you haven't turned there yet, go ahead and turn in your Bibles with me to Isaiah chapter 6. The title of our challenge here this morning is Fuel for the Long Haul. Fuel for the Long Haul. Now, when you think about a long haul, you think of a journey, right? You think of a trip. As you think in your mind about the most significant trip that you've ever taken, either as an individual or as a family. What comes to mind? Think about that in your mind for a minute. You know, for me and my family, family has to be our trip to South Dakota. We took, my, my youngest daughter was nine months old at the time. Ethan was, how old was Ethan? Six, five, somewhere in there. Lincoln was right around three. And we took a week of camping, tent camping, cooking over the fire, hiking. We were in Custer State Park, and it was an amazing journey. You know, as I think, though, about all that goes into a journey like that with young kids, there's a lot of planning, right? Man, you can't forget the diapers. That would be miserable, right, Rachel? Yeah. <laughs> You got to plan for the food. You got you to plan for the food over the fire. You got to make sure you bring enough ice. You got to make sure you dress right. You're looking at the weather. Now, we took our trip in June, and we're thinking June, certainly entering into summer. It's got to be warm, and it was warm during the day, and at night, it dropped to easily below 30 degrees, and we were sharing sleeping bags, and we were not fully prepared for all that that we needed to be prepared for. But I think about the trip, I think about all the planning and the prep and the provisions. And with any journey, planning and preparation is a must. And with our trip to South Dakota, failing to properly plan could have proven to be catastrophic for us. You know, the same is true though in our walk with God. As we consider the journey that lies ahead, anticipating the needs and preparing properly, you know, we stand 
on the precipice of 2021. And as we're looking ahead into 2021, perhaps you're here this morning and you're feeling a bit of the pinch and the pain, maybe the fear, maybe the anxiety as you look at your life and you see that 2020 rocked us to its core. Maybe for you, it's family changes, whether it be the loss of a loved one, the passing of a relative. Maybe it's career changes. Maybe you lost your job. Maybe you find yourself looking for a job or moving into a new career path. Maybe it's new financial considerations as you enter into 2021. But here's the reality, brothers and sisters. If we are desiring a successful journey, one that's marked by victory, one that's marked by enduring faithfulness, then we must prepare. You know, as the book of Isaiah opens up, we find God's man, Isaiah, on the precipice of perhaps the most challenging journey of his lifetime. Truthfully, I would imagine that as Isaiah looked on into the future, I'm sure that he had no idea of all that was coming to him or how he could best prepare for everything that he was about to face. Yet God, in his perfect wisdom, met Isaiah in our text in Isaiah 6, opens up with a description of the world in which Isaiah was about to serve. Let's read our passage together. We're going to do Isaiah 6. We're going to look at verses 1 through 8. And it reads like this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. One called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundation of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. The house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. He touched my mouth and he said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. As the author opens up in chapter six, he records by saying, in the year that King Uzziah died. You know, there was a transfer of political power and undoubtedly Isaiah's heart would have been filled with a lot of emotions. Much the same as probably what we're feeling right now, right? With a transfer of power, whether it be fear of the unknown, anxiety over how it would affect him, questions over how God would use him in the midst of this new leadership, uncertainty as to how this all would end and how the story would play out in his life. Many of us can identify with these same types of anxieties as we look ahead into the new year. Truthfully, the nation of Judah was not in a good place. They weren't in a good place. You know, as we enter into this passage, we need to unpack a little bit of the history as, as we see Isaiah entering in at a very critical time. And to find that history, 
We see it in, in the book of 2 Chronicles as it talks about this man, Uzziah, and who he was. The scripture says that he was 16 when he began to reign. Teenagers, could you imagine running a nation at 16? With as much as my son and I joke about him leading all of those crazy ideas that come from young people. You know, that's a fearful thing, though, to be handed the keys to the kingdom at 16. But the scripture records of Uzziah that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He set his heart to seek the God of his father, David, and God caused him to prosper. As a result of his pursuit of him, God gave him military through the wall of Gath and Jabna and Ashdod enlarged his kingdom. But he also gave him conquest over the Arabians, the Mayunites. He was able to fortify Jerusalem. God enabled him to innovate his, his military machine. He grew his army. His fame spread far and wide, for he was marvelously helped, the scripture says, until he grew strong. Fame spread. Uzziah became very powerful. And Uzziah started out well. He started out well. His heart was in a good place, and things seemed to be moving in the right direction. However, the scripture says in Chronicles, that when he grew strong, his heart grew proud. In pride, he forsook the ways of Yahweh, he ran hard after those things that were his own pursuits. He took liberties in the tabernacle that weren't his to take. He burned unauthorized incense. And as a result, God dealt with him in a very real way. You know, as God allowed for Uzziah's prosperity, his heart grew further and further away from him. Which begs the question, you know, as I'm studying through this, I'm thinking through my own heart. I'm thinking through my own heart and asking the question, what is it about prosperity that drives our heart far from God? Because, you know, when I think about my own walk with God, I think about the, my own success in my spiritual journey. Those times of greatest joy were not times of deepest prosperity. They were times of intense need. They were times of great hurts. Great pains. And what is it about prosperity, though, that drives my heart far from God? Well, a few things jumped out at me. Prosperity leads, it can lead us, if we're not careful, to the valuing of the gift above the giver of all good things. And I think Uzziah's heart started to run hard after the good things that God was giving him. And he failed to recognize the giver. He failed to see God in his glory, in his beauty, in his splendor, in his grace, in his unmerited favor that he was pouring out on him. Matthew chapter 6, in verse 19, when he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Where moth and rust corrupt, where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for your lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. Desire God, run hard after God, and never lose sight of the fact that everything I enjoy is a result of God's blessing, His kindness, His favor, His love. His care. Don't lose sight of that. Prosperity can lead to the valuing of the gift above the giver of all good things. Number two, prosperity causes me to ignore 
the entrapments of the enemy. Causes me to ignore the entrapments of the enemy. There's a correlation. Uzziah grew strong. His heart grew proud, right? And his heart can only grow proud as he's starting to think that everything I've amassed is because of me. As if this battle were of this earth, right? He failed to recognize the truth that we see in the New Testament where he says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and rulers in the heavenly places. He failed to understand. Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, be sober, be watchful, for your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. And what is his goal for us? Complete and utter destruction. He's not looking to take prisoners. He's looking to crush you. He's looking to steal your joy. He's looking to rob you of the blessings that come from giving your life wholly to Jesus. He's coming to keep you from, from pursuing that which honors God. Prosperity can cause me to ignore the entrapments of the enemy. And we need to be careful. Number three, prosperity can lead me to a false assumption of God's blessing as a direct result of my choices. Sometimes, sometimes the blessing and the, and the, the financial prosperity and all the good things that you're experiencing aren't a result of righteous choices. Asaph laments over this in Psalm 73 when he says, God, I'm, I'm losing faith here. I look out and I see the wicked and you're giving them everything that they want. And it seems like they're going unchecked. But then he entered into the sanctuary and it became clear. He entered into the place of worship and he says in Psalm 73, verse 18, God, I see that you have set the prosperously wicked in slippery places. Your judgment is certain, verse 19. They will see their end. Prosperity can lead to a false assumption that God's blessing is there as a direct result of my godly choices. Number four, prosperity can lead to a misplaced confidence in what we possess versus the God who possesses us. Let our confidence not, our confidence and our boasting not be in what we possess, but in a God who loves us and a God who cares for us. Worship him in much and in little. Whether you have much or whether you have little, blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord fills the bank account. The Lord drains the bank account. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord gives the job. The Lord takes the job. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Keep your heart anchored in who he is. And never let your confidence rest in what we possess. Versus the God who possesses us. Uzziah's heart in his prosperity wrestled to see that. He struggled to see that. He put his confidence in himself. And as a result, the story ends in 2 Chronicles. That God struck him with leprosy. He took his throne from him. And he gave it to Jotham, his son. Okay? This was the backdrop for Isaiah's ministry. This is what he was stepping into. The full life, transition of power in a great way. No, this was God's judgment. And Isaiah was stepping into this. This was challenging times for sure for Isaiah. And the journey would be a hard one. You know, as we stand here this morning looking ahead into 2021, perhaps your heart is gripped 
by much of this same type of fear, whether it be angst over the unknown, fears over all the painful firsts that 2021 is going to have to offer for you. Or perhaps there's a, a lack of peace over a seemingly out of control and chaotic future. Prepare for such a challenging journey. How do we prepare for a path such as this? Well, what did Isaiah do? Well, in Isaiah 6, we see that he really did nothing, but that God showed up. He met him in his time of greatest need. And he was faithful to prepare Isaiah in a way that only he could do. The scripture says that, first of all, and this is our first point here this morning, that Isaiah saw the Lord as supremely worthy. He saw the Lord as supremely worthy. It's interesting. In the year that King Uzziah died, he says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. He saw the Lord in contrast to the death and decay of this broken and fallen world, in contrast to the sinful wretchedness and the painful bitter ending of this man Uzziah, he sees the Lord as living. You know, while we, in fact, might feel crippled amidst the decay of this present world, we have a God who is alive and active. We have a God who never grows weak or weary. We have a God who never sleeps nor slumbers. You know, when you're up all night stressing over the tomorrows, keep in mind that God is up all night caring for you perfect, perfectly and working all things together for good. That's what he does. He's living. While we might feel inadequate to accomplish all that lies ahead of us, we have a God who stands at the ready. While we might feel buried under the weight of uncertainty, we have a God who is high and lifted up and able to conquer and reign. He's a living God. But not only that, as he sees the Lord is supremely worthy, he sees that he's living, but he also sees that he's authoritative. Seated on his throne, it says. You know, the eternal king of heaven holds court. He rules in righteousness. He, just, he justly judges the hearts of man. And you might be asking yourself, how does this view of God help me in my calamity and thus give me hope for the future? How does it help me? This authoritative and judicial view of a sovereign God orients my heart and it gives me the ability to be at peace. Why? Because his purposes are pure. I never have to question his motives. You know, if you, if you live in community with brothers and sisters, husbands, wives, siblings, relatives, neighbors, motives are always called into question, right? Because we're imperfect, we're impure. But you know, when I lean into this good God, I can trust that his purposes are always pure. There's never a hidden agenda. He's working all things together for good. As I lean into his grace, his purposes are pure. His ruling is just. His character is supremely trustworthy. And therefore, I rest. I sleep good at night knowing that my tomorrow is taken care of. I'm at peace because I know, God, you are working. And I'm not worried. This God is supremely worthy because he's living. He's authoritative. But not only that, he's, he's full of power. 
He's high and lifted up. You know, the God of heaven is not one of many. Amen? He's not one of many. He stands alone, perfect in authority. This eternal king is exalted above all. Above all the kingdoms in earth and heaven. Above the president of the United States or president-elect. Above all trials above all circumstances, above all pain, above all heartache, Isaiah saw this God as full of power. But not only that, he saw this God as worthy of worship. Look at verses 2 and 3 with me, if you would. It says, Above him stood the seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. With two, he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. He's worthy of worship. And why is he worthy of worship? Well, he's worthy of worship because of some things that jump out at us in the text. He's worthy of worship because he's supremely holy. God is set apart from us, from sin, from wickedness, from the brokenness, from the decay. Holy, holy, holy. He's supreme in his holiness. What does that mean for Isaiah as he was preparing to enter into the most challenging season of his life? Well, this God was perfectly set apart from the sinful ways of man the way we think, the way we act, the way we feel, the things we do. This God is infinitely glorious. Therefore, Isaiah did not need to fear anyone or anything. The whole earth was full of his glory. That's why it says in Proverbs, fear God and keep his commandments. Fear God. (laughs) This is the whole duty of man, right? Have your mindset in such a place that you recognize that God is great and he's greater than anything and more glorious than anything I could ever think or see. Therefore, I don't need to fear anyone or anything. God is vastly great. Therefore, Isaiah did not need to be in control. (laughs) Think about that for a second. I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to be honest and confess to you right now that I wrestle with control. I struggle. My heart was, ang- was, was so anxious over the unknown. For many years, I would lay awake at night. I would pace. I would struggle. I, would, I battled in my heart and in my flesh. I cared desperately what people thought of me to the point that it became an idol. And then I worked hard to kind of manipulate my way through interactions to get the responses that I want. This control gripped my heart. And it wasn't until God completely crushed me and put me in an utterly helpless situation that he helped me to see, you know what, Mike? You can't control any of this. You can't control any of this. There is only one who is vastly great, and it's me. So take your hand off the wheel. Rest. Trust. No, you're thinking to yourself, you know what, there's, there's got to be a strategy that I can employ that's going to help me and guarantee my financial success and prosperity and this and that and the other. You know what? God is great. Amen. 
Therefore, you don't have to be in control. You don't have to be in control. But not only that, God is unwaveringly gracious. Therefore, Isaiah did not have to prove himself. Everything that he was was because of God's bountiful blessing on his life. Everything that I am is because of the blessings that God has bestowed upon me. Everything I ever hoped to be in this world is a direct result of God. He's unwaveringly gracious. Therefore, Isaiah didn't have to prove himself. He is unquestioningly good. Therefore, Isaiah did not have to find satisfaction anywhere else. Because all things work together for good. For those who love God. And what is that good that God is doing in my life? Conformity into the image of his son. He wants to make me like Jesus. And that is so good. That is the greatest good I could ever want or pursue. And when I lean into that good God, my heart is able to rest. I can embrace the truth of Romans 8 where Paul says, if God is for me, who can be against me? He didn't spare his own son. He gave him up for me. Nothing can separate me from that love. This view of God changed everything for Isaiah. And it was the only thing that would prepare him for the challenges that were coming. It was the only thing. This view of God is precisely what we need as we enter into the uncertainty of this new year. Fuel for the journey, right? Strength to face all of the new normals. Peace to combat all of the questions, all of the fears, all of the anxieties. What is my greatest What ought to be my biggest prayer right now? God, show yourself to me. Because what I'm seeing right now, God, is the yuck and the mess. And it's clouding my vision, God. I'm struggling, God. Because all I'm seeing is me right now. Help me see you, God. Help me behold your glory. Help me to embrace you. You know, as Isaiah encountered God in this unique way, his view of God led to our second made heading this morning. Isaiah saw himself as hopelessly depraved and in need of the gospel. As he saw God for who he was, verse 5 tells us, he says, I, I said, woe is me. I am lost or I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. This idea of being undone or lost is, is really an extreme poverty of spirit. It's much the same as you see in Matthew, where Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. They were grieved over their own wickedness. Isaiah was grieved over his own dirtiness. This poverty, while it might initially seem grievous and despairing, as it led him to a place of utter dependence, as he realized that in his own emptiness, God gives him exactly what he needs. Woe is me. I'm undone. I'm incomplete. I don't have what I need. My tank is empty. God, meet me here <laughs> now. I need you desperately. This poverty guides our hearts to a repentance and it leads to righteousness and it leads to blessing. Why? Because when I'm empty, guess who fills me? God. He gives me his blessing. He gives me his righteousness. He makes me everything that I am not. 
says, woe is me, I am undone, I am unclean. Compared to the supremacy of God's holiness, Isaiah realized that at his best and his brightest, he was nothing more than a beautiful wretch in God's eyes. No matter how hard he tried to clean himself up, he was nothing but a beautiful abomination. Isaiah was confronted with the truth that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Isaiah was missing the mark. He realized that. He was missing the mark. But not only that, he was was hitting the wrong mark. You know, it's like taking my boy out to a shooting range and saying, here, buddy, here's the target. Keep your gun pointed at the target. Ready, aim, fire. Son, the target's over here. What in the world? You know, it's the same way in our walk with God. Isaiah realized that. I'm unclean. I'm full of sin. I I am incapable of choosing righteousness. He was persisting in ways that were contrary to the holiness of God, and it crushed him to the core. And as a result, he saw himself as unworthy. You know, as Isaiah came to grips with the full weight of God's holiness, this exalted view of God shook him to his core as he realized that the journey was not possible apart from the divine intervention of this supremely holy God. God had to step in. So if I try to do it in my my own strength, I'm going to screw it up. God had to step in. And that was precisely where God met him. Verses 6 and 7. One of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. He touched my mouth. He said, Behold... This has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. God met him in his depravity. God cleansed him. He removed his guilt. And his cleansing enabled his usefulness. You know, as you look on into 2021, it's critical for us to understand that our strength does not It doesn't rest in clever political strategy. It doesn't rest in the size of my bank account. It doesn't rest in my effectiveness at my job. It doesn't rest in me. Our usefulness isn't sourced in our own adequacy. Our effectiveness is not sourced in our own innovation. Our joy is not contingent on our circumstances. Our peace is not dependent on our surroundings. No, rather, God meets us in our need. He cleanses us from our guilt. He enables us to live in a way that's honoring and glorifying to him. And in revealing himself to Isaiah in this way, God was unveiling the beauty of his gospel. That's what he wanted Isaiah to see. Brothers and sisters, this is the truth that will carry us into a successful 2021. And you know, you might be here today, maybe visiting with us for the first time, or even being here for a long time. And maybe this is the first time that the truth has really sunk into your heart. I have been striving in my own flesh for way too long. I've been failing. I've been struggling. I've been joyless. I've been miserable. And if you look at my life, it's not marked by spiritual success, but it's marked by a whole boatload of failure. What is the answer for me? Well, Take in this big and majestic and glorious and holy view of God. Recognize your guilt before him and fall on your face before God and plead with him for the cleansing and the righteousness that only comes through the work of Jesus Christ. Scripture says in Romans, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, 
and believe with your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You know, some of us here today might be really good fakers to where you fooled everybody around you into thinking that there's an understanding of God's truth and an embracing of his glorious reality in the gospel. And as you're sitting here today, God is calling you to fully surrender your heart and life to him. As our text comes to a close, it's here that we find our final point. As Isaiah saw a supremely holy God, he came to grips with the depths of his own human depravity and need for God's intervention. Then and only then could Isaiah see God's mission as the only pursuit that mattered. Verse 8. And I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. Wow. You know the daunting task that God had for Isaiah? You know, we think of 2021 as being challenging, and it is. It's going to be challenging for us. Because you know what Isaiah's task was? Go to a people that will hate you. Preach a message that will fall on deaf ears. Endure the fiery wrath of this supremely holy God as he pours out his anger on a nation whose hearts are far from me. Difficult, right? And Isaiah's response, here I am, send me. Sounds ridiculous, coach, put me in. I'm up for that. I'm ready to run the path that you have for me. You know, what is God calling us to in 2021? He's calling us to pursue the path that he has for us. He's calling us to this idea of faithfulness. He's calling us to love him supremely. He's calling us to rejoice in his truth. He's calling us to evangelize and be missional. He's calling us to be successful in our jobs, not because I make the most money. No, be successful in our jobs because I'm, I'm pursuing it with a passion to bring honor and glory to Jesus' name. So, with an exalted view of God, I'm ready to say, here I am. Put me in. What is it that keeps me from this kind of obedience? Far too often, I struggle with this kind of obedience. I fail to see him for who he is. As opposed to the view that Isaiah had, where he saw God as supremely holy. He saw God as perfectly set apart from the sinful ways of man. He saw God as infinitely glorious. You know, when I see God as infinitely glorious, I don't need to fear anyone or anything. When I see God as vastly great, I don't need to be in control. When I see God as unwaveringly gracious, I don't have to prove myself. When I see God as unquestioningly good, I don't need to find satisfaction anywhere else. How is our view of God this morning? I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. And as we bring this text to a close, for many, 2021 has the potential to rock us to our very core. Some of us are feeling it right now. We're shaking, we're struggling, we're battling. Where do we find our strength for the journey? Where do we find fuel for the long haul? The energy that I need to pursue all it is that God has for me. Well, we find it in an exalted view of God. 
We find it in a humble view of self. We find it in a willingness and an eagerness to embrace all that God has for us. And then we walk in the strength that he provides. Let us embrace the full weight of this text as we seek to run hard in a prosperous new year. Let's pray. Father, we feel so unworthy as we stand before you here this morning, God. And Lord, I'm the first one to say that my life so many times falls hopelessly short. Whether I fail you with my kids, or I fail you in my relationship with my wife, or I fail you in other personal decisions, God, that just are contrary to your truth. Father, as a people, we recognize and we realize that apart from your work of grace, we're wretched, we're vile. God, we need you. We come before you today, and we thank you, God, for giving us this exalted view of you. We pray, God, that as we see you for who you are, that you would remind us of who we're not. We pray, God, that you would empty us so that you can fill us with your spirit, with your power, with your might. Thank you, God, for who you are. Thank you for all that you've done. Continue to truth, for it's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen. Let's stand.